He's busy sorting out the technology. Um, Nick is the, our pastor here, if you don't know him already. And um, while he's busy sorting that out, I'm going to pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you speak to us. I want to thank you um, for your word. And I pray that for Nick this morning, as he speaks, um, you would anoint him by your, with your spirit, that um, his words would be your words. And I pray for us, Lord, that you would give us open hearts and open minds, um, ready to hear what you've got to say to us and ready to respond to you. Amen. Obviously, didn't pray for Lee. He's not ready. I'm ready now. I'm ready now. We've managed to get through one of my terrible fear fantasies, all right, which is that I'd be singing, having already had one of these on, and people would hear me. But it was turned off, so good. Thanks, Joan. I appreciate that. That's good. You know, Sometimes, life is a crisis. You're just doing all you can to keep going. You're, you're pedaling like crazy, if you like. Just got to get through. We've been thinking about this dedication today. Well, childbirth can be a bit like that. Nine months of build-up to this incredible, painful, unpredictable, inconvenient event. And then the wonder of the arrival of this small person. And then life is totally turned upside down for weeks and months. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you get grandchildren. So much to look forward to. Three hours is a good night's sleep. Who feels like that today? <laughs> okay. Um, Making a cup of tea and drinking it before it gets cold is a high achievement. Obsessional discussion of nappies seems like normal small talk. If, like Rob and Michelle, you've now got two kids, the challenges are squared. But at least the elder sibling might help keep the baby entertained. <laughs> there is a crisis. It may last months. Actually, there's a reason that this dedication and thanksgiving for Samuel is happening now rather than nearly a year ago when he was born. After a crisis, eventually, there comes a moment to stop, to breathe, to take stock of where you are, to think about what's been and what's coming and to decide how to live life going forward for the coming years. That's what Rob and Michelle have been doing today. Um, you know, they've got through those first months, the crisis, if you like, of Samuel's arrival. They've got through the early time of all hands on deck. They're now saying, how are we going to set out on the next 17 plus years of Samuel's life? We want to thank God for this wonderful child and dedicate ourselves to bringing him up God's way in all the, the joys and trials to come. Actually, uh, people face all kinds of crises in different times. New jobs, losing a job, illness, death, bereavement, moving house, marriage, divorce, relationship breakdown, changing school, starting uni, leaving uni. Sometimes you've just got to hold on and get through that stage. 
get it done. Get it finished. And breathe when you get to the end. But there is a key question after a crisis. How are we going to live going forward? We've been slogging away just to get through. But now, how are we going to do the rest of life? In the last couple of months, we've been looking at the wonderful Old Testament story um, from the book of Nehemiah. And the chapters we're coming to do to today, chapter 7 and 8, actually describe what God's people did after the crisis, if you like. When they find they completed the wall, they got to the point where they can suddenly stop, take breath and say, how are we going to build life going forward? And I think there's a lot to help us in this today for Rob and Michelle at this key time, but actually for all of us, whatever challenges or crises we face, to think about how do we build now for the future. So if you'd like a Bible, do you want to stick your hand up and someone kind will put a Bible in it? Okay. Thanks, Natasha. Anyone actually want one? You know, we will be reading it, so uh, okay. Uh, so stick your hand up if you want one. Um, quick recap. So, Nehemiah. Nehemiah tells a story of when everything has gone wrong for God's people. When God's people were disgraced and threatened and what God did through people seeking him, getting together, sharing vision and working to restore community. Um, and how God blessed what they did when they did that together. So, a little bit of history, um, recap. So, about 3,000 years ago, 1,000 BC, King David ruled in Jerusalem. Um, his son Solomon built an amazing temple to God, um, but Solomon turned away from God, and the kingdom was divided. Various disasters occurred until finally the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, and many of its people were deported in the first exile in 605 BC. More were taken in 597 BC. And ultimately, in 586, there was a terrible siege. Um, the kingdom was destroyed. The people were taken into exile. The temple burnt, and the walls were demolished. It was like as low as it gets. But God didn't forget his people or his promise. Um, after about 70 years, a new king, King Cyrus of Persia, encouraged the Jews who wanted to, to return. And um, Zerubbabel led a group of exiles who returned in five, uh, 537 BC, and they started to rebuild. The temple was finally completed in 516 BC. Um, at some point then, work started on rebuilding the walls, um, but they stopped because of accusations before kings Xerxes and Artaxerxes. Um, so the Jews were accused, and they basically stopped the work. Um, in five. Uh, sorry, 458, um, a priest called Ezra returned and he started to teach people from God's law again. And then finally we come to uh, 445 BC, the time of our story. Nehemiah, a Jew, is cupbearer to King Artaxerxes and he hears of the desperate state of God's people back in Jerusalem. They're, some of them are living in the city, but the walls are still broken down. They're exposed. They're under threat from all their enemies. Um, it's still quite a mess. He asks the king to send him back to rebuild the walls. And then through chapters 2 to 6 of the book of Nehemiah, 
we see this incredible community project. All hands to the pump. The crisis, if you like. They've got to get this wall finished. Um, gates in place whilst they've got opposition going on, while they've got people threatening them, saying, you know, we're going to get in there before this wall is done. We're going to come and attack you. They even end up having, you know, half the workers building, the other half standing guard with weapons uh, ready to do it. They're in the middle of this crisis. They don't know what could go wrong at any moment, um, as well as facing internal division and some societal challenges. They keep going. They're hardly resting. Nehemiah says he's snatching sleep dressed in his armor, just in case he has to suddenly get up and fight. Sounds familiar? Anyone feel like they're, they're going through that sort of crisis at the moment where you've just got to keep going? Yeah, there's no stopping. You're, you're right in the thick of it. For some people, life is like that at the moment. It's a crisis. But finally, we get to a conclusion. Let's read... Nehemiah, uh, okay, so Nehemiah chapter 6, um, 15 to 16, so if you're in a green Bible, that's on page 364, if you're in a red Bible, it's on page 346, uh, okay, so Nehemiah uh, 6 verse 15, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, uh, which I think is the 2nd of October, in 52 days. So 52 days they've been slogging away. And amazingly, this wall is done at the end of it. Verse 16, when all the, our enemies heard about this and the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. There's no way they could have done that on their own, but God helped them in that period. Okay, let's read on to uh, 7, verse 1. After the walls had been rebuilt, and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, make them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own homes. It's finished. It's done. The gates are in place. There are guards appointed. This great project has reached a completion. The crisis, if you like, is over. The people, for the first time in now over 100 years, are living secure there behind walls that are actually going to give them some defense if an enemy attacks. We now get to a point where the Jews can take a moment to stop and to think and to sort of ref to think about the future. We're going to skip over most of chapter 7, which is mostly a list of names and numbers of people. I'm going to go right to the end. Uh, so 7... Uh, chapter 7, verse 73. Um, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with the rest of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled 
in their own towns, all the people came together as one in the square behind the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. I think this sermon is going on wrong. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others and all who could understand, all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masasiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zachariah, and Meshalem. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Baniah, Sharabiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodai, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, and Peliah, instructed the people in the law, while the people who were standing, while the people were standing there, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not weep or mourn. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher of the law, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and other leafy trees to make temporary shelters as it's written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters in their own roofs, on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So what happens? They finish on the 2nd of October. Maybe they have a few days off. The 8th of October, the first day of their seventh month, um, they gather again. And Ezra reads from God's word with various other teachers, Levites, helping to explain it. 
the people listen really carefully. And then you get this, this strange, well, strange reaction as Ezra reads. Um, they all start weeping. Let's read verse 9 again. Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. And I want to pick out what that reaction was and how that sort of gives us guidance for what's going on. I've got three points. Reflect, enjoy, and take action. And the people were reflecting here. They heard God's word and they thought about it and it provoked a, a reaction in them. What's going on? I think two things. I think as they hear God's word, they're reflecting on who they are and their history. They're realizing how far short they and their ancestors have fallen from the good guidelines God had given them and the disastrous impact it's had on their lives and on their community. And they're, they're letting out, they're expressing their, their grief, their loss, their relief that that chapter of their lives has, has come to an end. So there's, there's that, or it's coming to an end. So there's that, that emotional reaction, but it's also a sense of reflecting. It's looking back and saying, how did we get here? Why has all this happened? What has it been like? these last months, years, decades. When we get to the end of a crisis, the point where we can finally take breath, it's good to reflect. How did we get here? What happened? What could have been different? What are our emotions? What are we feeling about this? But also... What is God's word to us now? What are his promises to us in the situation we now find ourselves? What might he be saying to us about then, about now, and about the future? When we get to this point where we can finally take breath, it's good to stop. It's good to think. It's good to reflect, to ask God make that clear. I actually wanted to take a little bit of time during this morning, so I'm going to stop at the end of each a little bit and give us a minute or two just to, to think, to sit, to reflect, uh, maybe to pray if you, if you pray. Um, think about where we're at at the moment. Think about what's been happening in our lives. Think about what God's word might be to us in this situation. So just for a moment, uh, let's just have a moment of silence and, and chance to reflect.
And then what happens next? Well, really interesting, what Nehemiah says, he gives them an instruction to go and do something, something that, you know, uh, he tells them to, to enjoy themselves. Uh, let's read verse 10, 12. He says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Go away and celebrate, he says. Have a party. Spend time with family and friends. And sometimes after the crisis, it's good to stop, to celebrate, to think, what do I enjoy? What gives me life? What do I find satisfaction and pleasure in? What was I made to do and be? To celebrate with friends, with family, to enjoy. That's an immediate thing. Um, are you having a sort of lunch party, sort of that sort of thing today? That's, that's good. Yeah, yeah, good. Glad. There'll be food. Glad to hear it. Um, but actually, it's good to do that as an ongoing thing as well. To think, okay, what is it that I enjoy? What gives me life? Use that as, a, as part of a life going forward after the crisis. But there's something more here. Because Nehemiah says, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's good to enjoy ourselves, to celebrate, but there's something beyond this. The joy of the Lord, the deep, deep joy that comes from knowing that you're loved by God and loving him. This is a joy actually we all need. The deep peace, satisfaction, comfort that only comes from God. And it's a gift he wants to give to everyone. He calls us all to follow him that we might know uh, this love. Jesus said, I have come that they should have life and have it to the full. That's what he wants to give everyone who chooses to follow him and lives life his way. It's a joy we all need. It's this joy that gives us the strength for life to keep going with whatever happens a joy available to anyone who chooses to follow Jesus, to give themselves wholly to live for him and to know his life in them. How? Because Jesus died on a cross, taking all our sins, all our failures, all our guilt, all that we had got wrong on his shoulders, bearing our punishment, the penalty due to us for that sin. He took all that rubbish into himself on the cross so that we could be forgiven, accepted, know the love of God, his kindness, his joy, his grace, if we choose to put our trust in him and say, I'm done with living life my way. I want to live life your way. I want to follow you and be yours. If we will do that, he promises us the joy of God within him. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's take a moment just to 
to think about that. Think about what it is that we enjoy, assign life to. But also think about the joy of the Lord. If you know that joy, think about what it is to know. If you don't know that joy, but you would like to, yeah, think about what that might be like. I'd love to sort of talk or pray about that later. Let's reflect on, on what we enjoy and on the joy of the Lord. finally take action so the next day um, the people are back again let's read verse 13 they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month and they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem go into the hill country and bring back branches from various trees to make temporary shelters so the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters. So the next day, the people are back again. They learned from God's word something they'd forgotten, that he had set up this annual festival, the Festival of Tabernacle, or the Festival of Booths or Tents, you might call it, where um, they, they remembered God rescuing them from captivity in, in uh, Egypt and how God had brought them out in the Exodus. And so they built shelters and lived out on their roofs. It's probably easier to do in Israel than it is in the UK. Um, but you get the idea. This is, they're still doing it today. So these are uh, shelters people have built in their backyards in, in, in modern-day Israel um, to do that. But you know, at this point, the whole community hears God's word, and they said, we're going to obey what God said to us. We're going to take action. We're going to move out of our homes and actually live in these shelters for the week. Um, the whole community decides to obey God's word and celebrate the festival more thoroughly than they've done it at any point in the sort of uh, 800 years or so since Joshua um, celebrated it with them. Um, more food, more partying. Sounds a pretty good plan, to be fair. Um, but it's a step of obedience. They're taking action based on what they've heard in God's word, what God has said to them after the crisis let's take action let's think about what God said to us think about what he wants us to do think about what his word tells us to do for Rob and Michelle
the challenge is not just to reflect and enjoy, but to take action in bringing up these two wonderful little boys with love and kindness and grace, to plan for it, to work for it, to give their lives for it. What's the action we should take today and in the future? There may be a step of obedience that God is saying to you. It may be to put your trust in him for the first time. It may be to come back to him. It may be to do something that he feels you want you should be doing in your life that you've not wanted to do. It may be to go somewhere different, to do something different. What is God saying? What is the action he has for us to build our lives for the future? We're going to take a moment of silence again just to think about that. Think about if God has any particular action for each one of us today that he wants us to take in response to him. And then I'm going to pray as we end in a moment. So let's just reflect on that. Father God, I want to thank you that you know what we're thinking. You know what's in our hearts. I pray where we've thought about things, where we know we need to take action. Would you help us to plan, to live for that? Would you help us to do what we need to do? If it's about following you and choosing to go your way, I pray you'd help us to take that step of trust and faith and put our faith in you. It's about doing something else, doing something different, taking a different action. Would you help us and lead us, we pray. I thank you that you are with us and that your word is good to us. In Jesus' name. Thanks, Nick. Um, there's our chat.